0: All right, just switch over to PowerPoint. Okay, good. He's gonna switch over to PowerPoint so I don't have to mess with that all night long, So, because I know how to make slides, unlike Tim. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, it doesn't work that way. We're just old fashioned. If you're wondering why Pastor Tim looked like, uh, what's the guy's name, little Tom Horner, who sat in the corner, put his thumb in a pie and pulled out a plum, um, it's, except it's not a plum, it's a giant white bandage on his thumb. He was making a dinner for his family last night and decided to add some extra iron and calcium to the, to the salad. So. The moral of the story is just don't eat salad. You don't eat salad. Right. <laughs> salad is the promissory note that my food is coming, is what I uh, yes. have heard. Okay. Um, uh, as Aaron mentioned up here earlier that um, last night we had the – uh, sorry, I'm using a uh, – Stand, mic tonight because I've been coughing a lot, and I don't want to cough through the microphone all night long, so that now I can cough and cough. So if I have to do that, I apologize. I'm feeling a lot better than I was last week, but I'm still, something's just not, something likes to hang on, and I don't know why. So bear with me. If I lose my voice, we'll just let you read through the slides, and we'll just call it a night. Um, so... <laughs> Which won't make any sense, I don't think. Uh, I don't know. But, uh, anyways, last night we had Film Fest. It was a lot of fun. I got to MC it, uh, with, uh, Julie Stegman. She's, uh, oversees our women's ministries downtown and, and here as well. And so, uh, thankful for her and her work and, and what she does. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. And, and so we got to just, I don't know, I kind of emcee what, we, what was going on And the, all these videos. There's 33 films that small groups put together. And, and so we, um, we got up there, and, and uh, there's a lot of really, really funny videos. It's actually the first time I had seen any of these videos. So it was a lot of fun being able to see that. Just some crazy stuff. Uh, my favorite one was the last one that ended up being shown. It was called Prequels. And so you could probably go online and, and go on YouTube and look up 707 Film Fest. It's called 707 because the name of our uh, downtown campus is 707. West 10th Street, blah blah blah, something like that. So, uh, but it's 707 is the address. That's why we have that. So it was our ninth annual one, and and there was some crazy stuff. It really was. I, I was on stage. You know, I'm trying to you know be professional, and I'm tearing up, laughing at some of these videos that were being played, and and really had a good time with that. And then if you were here last week, we ended up having we got to, we had the privilege and the opportunity to have baptism here as well. Stephanie was baptized, and so we uh, got her baptized, and we have communion here every week. And as worship. So if you've uh, just been here even with one one week, you really got to understand Hope Community Church a little bit better. And so uh, thankful for for that and and where we're at as a church and and um, that we enjoy uh, film and we enjoy having fun, that we take the gospel seriously, and that we don't take ourselves seriously. So uh, we're gonna be going through the gospel. according to Moses a study in Exodus, this is actually week eight. Um, and so I'm gonna kind of catch up on where we were last week, and then hopefully, um, how we how we looking? No go. Pending. Okay. All right. I'll just read. Uh, just imagine these words are on the screen. But I'll catch you up where we were last week. So last week, Exodus chapter five, uh, <clears throat> and it says this. Pharaoh said, "Lazy is what you are. Lazy that is what you keep saying." So Moses and Aaron go before Moses. They say he says, "Let my people go." And Pharaoh then overreacts and says, hey, listen, you don't want to just be freed. You want to leave because you're just lazy. It's that simple. So he says, lazy, that's you are lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go out and sacrifice to Yahweh. Now get to work, and you'll not be given any straw, and you must provide your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. And when they had left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. That is, the Israelite leaders. The Israelite leaders uh, find Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May Yahweh look on you and judge you, for you have made us obnoxious to, Pharaoh's, to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And so there's a, <clears throat> a, uh, a pastor, a theologian from Kenya, uh, who wrote one of his commentaries. He says this, Dismayed and discouraged... Moses turned um, to the one he had received the question. Sorry, the one who had delivered the questions to him. That's God. So Moses turns to God, and he freely pours out his heart to God, and he and he throws out a question. And his question to God reveals his shock at the sufferings of his fellow Israelites and his impatience to see God intervene powerfully. All right, so he's. He's going to God, and he's petitioning to God. Why is this happening? Right, just kind of lining up with what Tim had said about the song that we just sang. So, uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just move on here. Just imagine we don't have PowerPoint. I'm gonna do my best to imagine I don't have PowerPoint, and uh, we'll we'll figure it out as we go. I Man, I had some really fun pictures to show you tonight. I really did. So I apologize. Um, oh yeah, they're online. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Go to hopecc.com, and they'll pop right up. There you go. And You could follow along. Uh, <clears throat> so tonight we're going to be transitioning into chapter six, uh, end of first five or end of chapter five, going into, into chapter six. And so basically, what's going to happen here is we're going to see God show up in a very, very powerful way, but yet Moses is going to feel like he still was left in the dust. Moses is still going to say, "God, why is this happening? I, I don't understand what's going on." All right. And so what we're going to look at though is 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 the goat. All right? There's gonna, a goat's going to show up here tonight. But um, not like a goat, like the, the greatest of all time kind of goat. Oh, that was too far. I mean, ruined it. Here we go. Is that good? Oh, just I saw that. Oh, good. Good. We didn't ruin it. All right. Ready? Oh. There it is. All right. Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, the greatest of all time. Uh, Muhammad Ali, maybe that was not your sport, maybe you didn't watch boxing growing up. I didn't really watch a whole lot of boxing. It had died when I was in fourth grade, I think it was, when uh, Mike Tyson bit been off Evander of Holyfield's ear, and that kind of killed professional boxing, but um, the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. Maybe you think of, of this guy, Michael Phelps, right, who just destroyed the Winter Olympics. Uh, I always think of this guy uh my boy from chi town michael jordan i mean he's got he's got so many rings he can't even you know fingers for those rings right uh just unreal uh maybe you think maybe you think of this guy um tom brady um now i i'm not a brady fan and so thus the picture of him dropping uh this pass um but uh Right, but it's obviously he's got a lot of rings too, right? I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan. I love Aaron Rodgers, but uh, he's, yeah, thank you. Uh, but, but he's, you know, he doesn't have the rings, right? But he'll, he'll still be labeled the greatest of all time, even if he doesn't win anymore. Uh, maybe this guy, um, he plays tennis. I don't remember his name. I didn't write it down. Roger Federer. <laughs> Roger Federer, Serena Williams, right? Maybe she comes to mind, maybe my other boy, Reggie White, uh, who made me fall in love with defensive end in that position. Maybe you go old school, you go Babe Ruth. Maybe you go track and field, Usain Bolt, right? Maybe you go really old school and kung fu-y with Bruce Lee, can't forget him. Maybe think music, right? And you go, Louis Armstrong, right? I mean, this is my son. He's only one, and he's growing up on Louis Armstrong, right? I take them legs from some old table. Um, love him. Love Louis. Love me some Louis. Maybe Jimi Hendrix, right? This guy, you talk about the greatest of all time when it comes to playing guitar. This guy, so Jimi Hendrix is left-handed, okay? So, so when, you, when you, normally when you play a guitar, um, you you know you do it like this uh, if you're right-handed because you strum this way and you and you and you finger pick with whatever I don't know what I'm talking about I don't play the guitar but you do it this way well he was he was a, a lefty so he literally just flipped the guitar which you'd think well that makes sense and he would do it this way well all of the you know strings were upside down right so you have E D G Something so the E the low E now is on the on the, the high spot and it shouldn't be there. So he basically self taught himself how to play backwards and then he ended up getting someone else who taught him how to play the right way so he could play literally ambidextrously the guitar, uh, which is just it just blows my mind uh, how your brain would have to work that way. Maybe it's not music, maybe it's not sports, maybe it's physicists. Maybe think of Albert Einstein. Maybe it's uh, sci-fi and the greatest villain of all time. Uh, with Darth Vader. Now, what's interesting, though, is all those individuals, right, everyone that I just listed there, at some point made a mistake, right? Even Michael Jordan, he's he's missed a shot. Um, he wasn't even a starter in high school, right? Uh, you, you think of anybody who's who's a great, and we would call the GOAT, at some point they've made a mistake, right? Even showing a picture of Tom Brady dropping a pass, right? Uh, Darth Vader forgot that there's a huge plot hole and thing that could destroy this Death Star uh, missed that, right? You got all the power of the forest, really, you missed that? Uh, so anyways, people make mistakes, but I know it may seem cheesy, but we're going to look at God as really being the goat, all right? The, like literally every single thing possibly that God delivers, that when he makes a promise, he goes through with it. And so today, the, what we're going to see here is that God promises deliverance and when he promises it it will happen and so not really more of a, much of an outline tonight rather it is just kind of bullet points as we go through this passage and so the first bullet point is Moses questions God so starting in Exodus 5:22 says this and i want you to put yourself in Moses' shoes right got to remember what we just came off the heels of and as last week we really talked about suffering We talked about being in the position of Moses, of going to Pharaoh, doing exactly what God had told Moses to do. And Pharaoh ends up making life worse for the Israelites. And the Israelites then turn their back on Moses as well. And so now you've got Moses saying, God, um, what's going on here? So Moses then turns to God in prayer. He turned, Moses turns back to Yahweh, right? And you, you can imagine like, uh, hey, God, remember that thing you said that I should do coming to Egypt? That's why I'm here. Remember that? So he says, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is, is, is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Right, So we can imagine just by the phrase, we don't know how much time has gone by since Moses has been in Egypt, but some time has expired where the people have been under more intense persecution, more intense slavery and labor, and Moses keeps falling flat in his face. And so I love what Jen Wilkins says about this. So I'm going to read through. I've actually got two different quotes here that I'm going to read. And, and uh, I love, you know, I'll just keep reading here. She said, let's, let's think about what would have happened if the scene played out according to Moses' thinking. Let's say Moses went in, and he and Aaron did everything they were supposed to and said everything just as they were supposed to, and that was it. They got to leave. Who gets the credit? Well, Moses and Aaron. Well, let's say that they do everything just right, and Pharaoh says, you know what? I'll just let you go. Who gets the credit? Pharaoh, redemption is not easy because only one can have the credit for it, right? And so this is why he said it is not going to be easy, but it's going to happen in such a way that everyone will know that I am Yahweh. So let's say things had gone more easily and the Israelites got to leave with Moses at the outset. Who would know that God was the I am? Israel would but with Egypt, no. But what we're going to see is that God will bring them out and redeem them in such a way that everyone will know, everyone will know that he is God. I love what uh, Douglas Stewart says about, about this in his commentary. He says, from a literary point of view, Moses was telling this story on himself, okay, because you got to remember, he's, well, that is writing in the wilderness, to the wilderness generation and beyond, okay, so when Moses is penning these words, he's in the wilderness, and he's writing it for people who obviously would have had it, so he's going back in the recesses and corridors of his mind, recalling these stories, and he's penning them for the people that he's in the wilderness with, all right, so that's who he's writing it to specifically, so he's writing it for them, and Moses included a detail that shows how he himself was unreasonably impatient for God's deliverance, right? So Moses is saying, hey, I'm going I'm to put myself in a position here that says, I really didn't trust God, and yet he's the leader of Israel. And it's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay to fess up to him. The wilderness generation and all that had succeeded it had a similar tendency. And what Moses eventually learned, all believers have to learn for themselves, and this is money. God's timing only sometimes coincides with our expectations. And his idea of the hardships we need to go through only sometimes coincide with our idea of how much we can take. And that's that's a beautiful way to say it. That you've got the Israelites that are literally in slavery and suffering. You've got Moses who's called to set these people free. And he's saying, what's going on? Right? Like we looked at last week, looking at Job, God, you, you knowledgeably have done things beyond my comprehension. I understand not. Things too wonderful for me. Well, then God answers Moses in the next verse. He says this, then Yahweh says to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Right? It, not now it's going to happen. Because now we've established it's not about you and Aaron, Moses. It's not about Pharaoh, Moses. It's about me. So now you will see what I will do, Pharaoh, to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. And because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. So now God does a little reminder trip. He goes on this little remindering thing that he does with Moses about who he is and the promises that he's made. God also said to Moses... I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Right? Just listen to what he says here. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. I also established my covenant with them and gave them to the Can- to land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. I have heard and I have remembered my covenant. Again, Douglas Stewart, actually, I actually don't think it's Douglas Stewart. This is the end of a uh, commentary. God, God's response to Moses recalls three prominent elements to their previous conversation. He says this, I am Yahweh. I am the God of the patriarchs, and I've heard your complaint. By repeating these vital elements, God is saying to Moses, let's try it again. But this time, listen closely, this is who I am. I am Yahweh. I, am, I made a promise to the patriarchs and I have every intention on keeping it, right? I, I'm batting a thousand right now and I'm not going to mess that up. I know what is happening and I know how poised I'm po- I'm now poised to do something about it, So stand back and watch. So God then explains just briefly right now, we get a little glimpse, how is he going to do this? And he does it because of my mighty hand and because of my mighty hand. That is how he's going to do this. He's going to display his wonders and his power and his authority over Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. And he's going to say, I am that I am and all these other gods that egypt has they, they they've got nothing on me they got nothing so gods I'm supposed to say resume so <laughs> i have a hate relationship with this slide i'm working on this powerpoint <laughs> and and for some reason this slide decided to freeze my whole powerpoint and like delete everything right because i didn't hit the save button <clears throat> got your 5 minutes of fame Little slide. I was trying to make sure I was spelling resume right. I don't have the greatest, you know. I don't spell that well, and so I'm a millennial. You can just empathize with me, right? We got a spell check for this. Why? I don't even know how to spell. Computer knows how to spell. <sighs> okay, sorry. This is this is really serious. I promise. Okay, so God's resume. Okay, so this is what he says. I'm just gonna read this, and we're gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go through what what God has done and who He is who he's been, and this is, this is just Exodus. Right, This is just the second book of the Bible, and he's saying, I am powerful. Look what I've done already, and look what I will do. So Yahweh says to Moses, Therefore, Moses, say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh, And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. Look, what he, look at this. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God. I will bring you to the land I swore. I will give it to you as possession. I am Yahweh. And he fulfills this in Joshua so the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to their ancestors and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as, had, as he had sworn to their ancestors and not one of their enemies withstood them. And the Lord gave all their enemies into their hands and not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Right When we look at the Old Testament, it's, Filled with prophecies, and even the New Testament is filled with prophecies. And what we see and learn about Yahweh is that what He says He's going to do, He does it, and He's never once missed it. He's never once missed the mark. At some point, oh, I'm supposed to read something here. Sorry. This is um, I started doing some uh, some research on how many prophecies there were in the Old Testament. And all those different things, and, and so I got lost in, in Google, but I found an article um, from Ligonier Ministries that was uh, R.C. Sproul's uh, ministry down in Florida uh, from a pastor named Stephen Lawson, and uh, he had a, a little excerpt. Uh, I took a little excerpt from, from something that he had written, and so I want to read this. It's kind of lengthy, but I think that um, this really, really puts Yahweh in perspective and his prophecies in perspective of who he is and the power that he displays is is incredible? It says, do you realize that <clears throat> at the time the Bible was written, twenty seven percent of the Bible is prophetic? All right, so over a quarter of the Bible, the time it was written, was prophetic. There are some one thousand eight hundred and seventeen prophecies of some nature in the Bible. At the time the author wrote the scripture, a prophecy is a pre-written history. Only God knows the future. And the reason that God knows the future is because he has foreordained the future. God is not looking down a tunnel of time to see anything, because God already knows everything. And God has already foreordained everything, and he records some of it in it for us in the scripture. And we read all kinds of prophecies regarding individuals, that Abraham would have a son. Did he? Yes. In his later years. And that There would be rulers like Cyrus of Persia. 100 years before Cyrus even assumed the throne, his name in Isaiah 45 verse 1 is recorded. Would you like to predict who the president of the United States will be 100 years from today? It's impossible. But here is the Bible giving name and country of these rulers long before they'd even been birthed and come on into the scene or nations, such as the fall of the northern kingdom, or the length of Judah's captivity, or enemies regarding the fall of Babylon, or cities such as the destruction of Tyre, Tyre, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Talking about Jesus, how many prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest fulfillments of prophecy are found at the first coming of Christ, not even the second coming, but at the first coming. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would be born of the seed of Abraham, Jesse, and David. He would be born of a virgin, called Emmanuel, born in Bethlehem. Great persons would come and adore him. There would be the killing of children in Bethlehem. He would be called out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner, John the Baptist. He would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. He'd be a prophet like Moses, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He would be entering into his public ministry in Galilee. He would be entering publicly into Jerusalem and come into the temple he would live in poverty and meekness and tenderness and compassion. He would live without deceit. He'd be full of zeal, preaching with parables, working miracles, bearing reproach. He would be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. The Jews and Gentiles would combine together against him. He would be betrayed by a friend. His disciples would forsake him. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and at that price would be given for a potter's field. This is all prophecy. This is all in Scripture before Jesus even is even born. He would die with intense suffering, yet be silent under that suffering. He would be struck on the cheek. His visage would be marred. He would be spit upon and scarred. His hands and his feet would be nailed to a cross before the cross was even invented. He would be forsaken by God. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be mocked. Gall and vinegar he would be offered to him. His garments would be parted. Lots would be cast for his clothing. He would be numbered among the transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. He would die, but not a bone of his body would be broken. He would be pierced long before the crucifixion was ever invented. He would be buried with the rich. His flesh would not seek corruption. He would be raised from the dead, and he would ascend back to the right hand of God the Father. All of this recorded hundreds of years before Jesus ever entered this world. And many of these prophecies are fulfilled not by his friends, but by his enemies who stand to lose the most by their fulfillment. And many of these prophecies being fulfilled before he was born or while he was in his mother's womb and while he was in the grave. When God says he's going to do something, he does it every time. And even when we're reading our Old Testament, and we say, how, how could that be Put yourself in their shoes. This was real history. This is why when Jesus was being born, then he goes and right and, and the wise men are coming through into, into Jerusalem. They go to Herod and they're like, hey, why, why are you here? And they say, Oh, we're here to, to worship the king of Israel. Oh, well, where is he going to be born? Oh, let's look at our Old Testament. Oh, he's gonna be born in Bethlehem, in the city of David. Oh, I guess that's where we're gonna go. Right that God says he's gonna do it, he does it. But not every prophecy has been fulfilled yet. There's some that we still get to look forward to. And so I feel like we read this a lot here, but this is a great passage for anybody who's living under the fall. That's everybody. Anybody who's been in pain and suffering, this is good news because God has promised this. And so if he's batting a 1,000, if he's been perfect in everything he's said so far, guess what? This is going to be true too. I saw a holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, this may have, you might remember some of the things we just read from Exodus. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And not just Israelites, but Jews and Gentiles both. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. Excuse me. (coughs) I'm gonna stop yelling. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. Okay. I shouldn't have sang. I can't not sing. When we're singing, I'm just over there blasting. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this right now, but I've got to sing, man. Moses responds, <clears throat> Israel answers. So Moses reports us back to the Israelites. Okay, God comes to him. This is what you're going to say. I'm going to do all these things. Okay, trust me. So Moses reports what God says to the Israelites again, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. Like Moses, forget about it, right? You, you convinced us before. You did some little magic tricks with a stick and with your hand. We believed you, but clearly, clearly you're making all this up. So God commands Moses again, and then Moses questions God again. Right, he, he laments with God. God, are we, I mean, really? Are we, are we really going to do this? And this is God's response. Then, then the Lord says to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. Does that sound familiar? God, you, you've been saying this over and over and over. And guess what? I've been doing this over and over and over. Why, why are we do, we're making this worse on these people. Maybe I'm just hallucinating this. How, what's going on here? God, you said you were going to do this, what's happening? But Moses says to the Lord, says to Yahweh, if the the Israelites won't listen, if the the people who call them, call call you, Yahweh, your God, if they won't even listen to you and listen to me, why, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. It's actually kind of a bad translation, uh, faltering lips. It's really more of a, uh, I'm clearly not doing this perfectly. Clearly I'm doing something wrong. You've called me to do this. You've said you were going to help me do this, but but uh, something's wrong. And I, and I got a feeling the problem's not with me, God. The questions God. And then it seems like there's just some random genealogy thrown in here. Uh, just, just, it, it, just, it just pops up in this in this passage. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through it, and I'm going to go back and kind of talk about it. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And these were the heads of their families, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, that is Jacob. Okay, so Jacob has 12 sons. And here, and I'll just explain this real, real quickly. He says... Um, Uh, Reuben and Simeon, and then he gets to Levi, and then he specifically focuses on Levi, all right? So he does that because he doesn't start with Levi because Jacob had two other older sons, right? So he's just kind of following the common order of a genealogy, uh, Moses is when he's recording this, but generation also oh I guess I'll get to that okay, but but just be thankful that he that that Levi's third born okay, because he's going to focus on Levi if Levi would have been like ninth or twelfth born, then we would have all these other ones, okay, so just you know thank you, Levi for being third born all right, so the sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Jacob, were Hanok and Palu, Hezron, Carmi, and these were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jamuel, Jamin, ohad, jaed, Zohar. And Shaul, the sons of a Canaanite woman, and these were the sons of Simeon. Okay, so now he's going to focus on Levi for a, for a reason, which we'll, we'll we'll talk about. I'm going to pick out a few of these names, and what I want you to, to remember about these names, okay? You may not know the history and some of the things and, and individuals that, that maybe pop up in Scripture later on. I'll, I'll highlight some of those. That's not necessarily the point of this. Some of it is, I think, when why Moses would do this to his contemporaries, to the people wandering in the wilderness— These are names. God knows names. These names of individuals, real people, historical figures that God knew by name. And I'm telling you, He knows your name. The same way that He knew the color of their eyes, the size of their sandals, whatever, He knows that about you. (coughs) Gets me choked up. Thank you. It was a sympathetic cough for me there. <coughs> oh boy. Sorry, I apologize. We're going <coughs> to. <coughs> <coughs> These are the names of the sons of Levi, <coughs> according to their records Gershon, Koath. Koath, uh, he's not going to come up in the book of uh, Genesis. But he's going to come up later on in First uh, or Second Samuel. Second Samuel, I would believe, when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back in to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant hasn't even been created yet. <coughs> Ark of the Covenant is going to go into the Tabernacle, and uh, Uzziah, as the as the Tabernacle is going back into the into Jerusalem, the the Tabernacle Ark of the Covenant, excuse me, the Ark of the Covenant starts to tip off of a wagon, and Uzziah goes to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant, God's holy instrument where his holiness resides, his instrument and in the de- demonstration of his power and holiness. And Uzziah touches it, and he's immediately struck dead by the holiness of God. And when you read that and see it, you go, man, that seems kind of harsh. But the Coathites, all right, the descendants of Kohath, they were in charge of keeping uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And they knew the rules. And Uzziah knew uh, I should not touch this. I should be carrying this the way that God instructed. And he knew better. Um, the holiness of God is a, a very powerful and frightening thing. Sorry, Koath. I got to stop doing these little tangents or I'm definitely going to lose my voice. Uh, and Mary I, and Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shemi, and the sons of Koath were Amram, El, uh, Lazar, Hebron, and Uzziah. Koath lived 133 years. The sons of Maryi were um, Malhi and Mushi. I don't know, they, they, I think Moses is making these names up now at this point. Um, and these were the clans of Levi, according to their records. Amram married his father's sister, uh, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Iskar were Korah. Korah is going to come up big time in the wilderness, and I think that's why Moses will recognize them. So there's going to be what's called Korah's Rebellion. And they're going to be out in the wilderness saying, what are we doing out here? This can't be right. Um, and starts a rebellion out in the wilderness. Uh, Nafeg and another name. I missed it. The sons of Uziel uh, were Mishael, Eliphazon, and Sitri. Uh Aaron married Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab and sister of Nasham And she bore him Nahab, Nadab, and Abayu. Nadab and Abayu again, will be struck down uh, for some really nasty activity that they do as priests. And their younger brothers, Eleazar and Ish- Ithmar, take over the high priestly, uh, high, as high priest, after they die. And the sons of Korah were uh, Issar, Elkar, and Abysshef, and were <clears throat> the Korite clans. Eliezer, son of Aaron, married to one of the daughters of Pitu, and she bore him Phineas. And Phineas is going to be the grandson of Aaron. He is going to play some key roles in the book of uh, Deuteronomy. And these are the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. Okay, that's this just seems like kind of random. Like, what are we doing here? Just talking about, your, like, Moses is lashing it out with God. What's going on? Why are we doing this? And it was this Aaron and Moses... To whom Yahweh said, "Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions," and they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. This same Moses and Aaron. So again, Moses and Aaron are. He, Moses is writing this to his contemporaries. There's rebellion all the time, and so Moses is trying to highlight some things. Right, something's happening. It's not random, and we know it's not random because the very next verse. It says, now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am Yahweh, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Right, we already heard that, right, going back up. So it's repeated, it's, genealogy is sandwiched in between the exact same few verses. So going back, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and let my Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with... Faltering lips. So, just looking at that genealogy, these are kind of the major things. And when the highlight here, though, is not Moses, which is interesting. Moses is not the one that's being highlighted of who this is following. It actually goes Levi and Koath. And there's a couple generations that are skipped, and that's not odd as far as uh, an ancient genealogy goes. Um, he's highlighting some of the key players, but, but uh, Amram is going to end up being a descendant of Koath, and then Amram, and then you've got Aaron. Right, Because this high priestly line is actually going to go through Aaron, not Moses. Moses is highlighting this as well. Then you have Eleazar and Phinehas. And so then he says, it was this Aaron and Moses whom the Lord said, bring these Israelites out of Egypt by their division. And when they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh the king of Egypt about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, this Say Moses and Aaron. It's almost like Moses is, is giving this little ellipses. Like look, look back. These are, are these are names. These are these are people that matter to God, and these are people that matter to me. As your leader, I care about you. I know you by name. and I was commanded to bring you out of Egypt, and guess what? We're here now, and we get to look back. We have that. We've got the whole Old Testament, all these one thousand eight hundred and something prophecies that have been fulfilled. That we get to look to and say, man, God is good. He has fulfilled everything that he said he's gonna do and he's done it perfectly. But I'm gonna go back though to what Moses says <coughs> to God. <coughs> We're almost done. Almost done. Okay, sorry. He gets, argues with God, and Moses says to the Lord since I speak with faltering lips, why well, would fair listen? We talked about this more last week, that we've all been in difficult situations, we've gone through suffering, and we question God. And the problem here is not questioning God. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with questioning God. There's nothing wrong with asking God, why are you doing this? And I can't, can't fathom this. And I go back to that quote that we read at the beginning of, only sometimes does God's plan coincide with what we think the plan should look like. It's not always going to be that way. Only sometimes is what we think we can handle coincide with what God actually gives us. I want to end with this quote again from the pastor from Kenya. Dismayed and discouraged, Moses turns to the one he represents and questions him. He freely pours out his heart to God and and his, his question to God reveals his shock at the sufferings of his fellow Israelites and his, and his impatience to see God intervene powerfully. Moses says, God, I, you've made these promises. I'm, I'm trying my best to obey you. I'm trying my best to, to get Israel freed, but you got to do something. And God shows up and says, I will, I will, I will, and I will, and I will, and I will. And we get to look back and say, he did, he did, he did, he did. And there's some things that he's still going to do. And I can't wait for that. I can't wait for all th- I can't wait for stinking sickness to be gone in so many ways, accidentally chopping your thumb off. No, no more of that stuff. I was sick of that. So closing in gospel application, are you trusting in a God who has fulfilled every promise he's ever made? Right? And sometimes it's hard. It's hard for us in our, uh, I don't know, uh, in our little time space, continu- I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. From our little lens, right? when I'm looking out and there's all these things that have happened and I've only got this tiny little window, this tiny little screen that I'm looking out and saying, God, I mean, I'm looking here, it doesn't seem like you're fulfilling your promises. It doesn't seem like you're making all things new. It doesn't seem like my life looks like the way that it should be looking. And God's good. Moses had to suffer and Jesus had to suffer. Well, guess what? If you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're calling yourself a, a servant and follower of the Lord, there's going to be suffering. It's part of the gig. It's not easy. You're never called to be easy, easy, but the question is: are you trusting him? Are you trusting that God has fulfilled? And then, and if not, have you made your petition to God? H- have you honestly just said, God, I don't understand this. Can you help me see this? And if not, maybe my answer is simply Job's. Maybe it's God. You clearly do things that I can't comprehend. You you do things I don't understand. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. I I, I need to trust you, God. You're clearly in control. And I know that because I can look at your scripture and I can see that you have shown yourself powerful and strong every time you've said you're going to do something, you've done it. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here and we're going to have a couple songs as we close with communion this evening. Maybe tonight, as we reflect on these elements, the the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ on the cross, and the juice, which represents the the blood that he shed for us as a propitiation for our sins, as a payment for my sins that I have committed against God. And maybe tonight, as we reflect internally on our own selves, maybe maybe we need to confess just, God... I, I haven't trusted you. I haven't been trusting you. These things have come into my life, and I try to fix it on my own. I try to do the whole Moses thing going back to Exodus chapter 1 and 2 where he takes setting Israel free into his own hands and kills the Egyptian and doesn't do what God ultimately wants him to do. May we do that. As looked at last week, maybe we're in the boat in, in, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus tells the disciples, get into the boat, sail across that sea, I'll meet you on the other side. And Jesus is walking on the shore and he can see the disciples being battered and beaten by the waves. And he easily could have said, peace, be still, but he doesn't. He lets them suffer and work all the way until dawn. And then finally he walks out there and says, all right, peace, be still. And maybe we need to realize that we're in this boat for a reason. These waves are crashing on us for a reason that maybe we just need to repent and say, God, I trust you. I don't know why I'm in this boat. I don't know why these particular waves are hitting me at this moment, but I'm gonna trust you because you're batting a thousand. You have been perfect every single time. And if you're not there, ask him. Ask him to show himself strong. Ask for that faith to be able to trust him in those times of need. Will you bow with me in prayer as we get ready for communion to reflect on what God has done? Heavenly Father, I thank you just for even the strength of my own voice to get through this tonight. Thank you for the message you've brought. Through your word, through Moses, thousands and thousands of years ago, there was a human being named Moses who literally walked and talked with you and saw your glory and still looked at you and said, I don't get it. God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Clearly, we're not doing this right. Clearly, there's something wrong with me. That happened, and it still happens today. But God, you have so, you have shown yourself faithful and strong and true every single time, and I pray that would be our understanding now, looking back through uh, the history books and through the Bible to say, God, you are good. And someday, we will be, with you. We will be your people. We will walk with you, and you will make all things new. You will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more death or pain or suffering, and we will see you face to face. So God, I praise you for that. I thank you for that, and please uh, bless this time now as we have communion with one another, as we reflect on what Christ did for us, the suffering servant on the cross so many years ago. It's Christ's name we pray.